0: Good morning, Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barty in Washington. Today is Monday, September 26, and here are some of the stories we are covering. ECOWAS this week will send a high power delegation to Mali to hand deliver a message.
1: ECOWAS is going to demand the unconditional release of these 46 soldiers. If they are not going to release them, then they have to provide this incontrovertible evidence. The
0: world's longest serving leader, Teodoro Obiang of Equatorial Guinea, will seek another term. We'll get analysis. Congo Brazzaville's president appoints new members to his cabinet. Mozambique says. It is making progress on national reconciliation and combating terrorism. Ugandan health workers ask for increased support in the fight against Ebola.
2: You find that the doctors, health workers who are triage, level one and level two, they don't have fully breasted up PPEs. And when I talk about fully breasted up, you're not talking about wearing gloves and mask. no.
0: And an Al-Shabaab attack on Sunday kills at least 11 people in Mogadishu. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley's post are coming up on Daybreak Africa. A delegation from the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS, is due in Mali this week to hand deliver the organization's latest decision. It is calling for the unconditional release of the remaining 46 Ivory Coast soldiers being held in Mali. They are part of 49 soldiers detained since July. Mali's military led government, early this month, rejected ECOWAS's demand for their release, saying instead that the issue was a bilateral one between Mali and Ivory Coast. The new ECOWAS demand came at the body's extraordinary session last week on the margins of the U.N. General Assembly. Abdel Fatahou Moussa is the new ECOWAS Commissioner for Political Affairs and Security. He tells me that ECOWAS does not accept Mali's quid pro quo for the release of the Ivorian soldiers.
1: James, you know that for some time now, there has been a lot of misunderstanding between d'Ivoire and Mali. Over the detention of uh, 49 Ivorian soldiers who Kouliba said were there at the request of uh, the UN peacekeeping mission, the MINUSMA, and uh, with Malian authorities also saying they were mercenaries. So far, only three of the detainees have been released. Kouliba insists that these are not mercenaries and. uh, Mali should not use their detention to blackmail them, you know, because among other things, Mali is also requesting the extradition of uh, some Malian citizens in Côte d'Ivoire now who the Malian authorities insist are using the territory of Côte d'Ivoire to, you know, sort of destabilize Mali. So the summit on the 22nd of September dealt with this particular matter and as a consequence decided to dispatch a delegation of heads of state, the heads of state of Ghana, of Senegal, and of Togo to Bamako to continue this dialogue and to seek the release of the remaining 46 Ivorian soldiers.
0: So at the summit on the sidelines of the UN General Assembly, ECOWAS called for unconditional release. Is that the message also you are going to deliver?
1: ECOWAS is going to demand the unconditional release of these 46 soldiers. Of course, if they are not going to release them, then they have to provide this incontrovertible evidence that would satisfy the ECOWAS
0: authority. I'm assuming that maybe ECOWAS does not accept Mali's explanation that the matter between Cote d'Ivoire and Mali is purely judicial and bilateral?
1: Yes, you know, the ECOWAS heads of state do not buy that idea, you know, and that uh, this is not a judicial matter. And one of the proof from the ECOWAS standpoint is the fact that uh, if uh, the Malian authorities are saying they are not going to interfere in judicial matters, why do they ask for a quick pro quo, asking for the extradition of uh, the so-called Malian descendants based in Cote d'Ivoire in exchange for the release of these 46 soldiers?
0: There was another decision, and this time on Guinea, where ECOWAS imposed additional sanctions. What can you tell us about those sanctions?
1: Yes, in the estimation of the ECOWAS authority, the Guinean authorities have not proposed any acceptable timetable. They are insisting on 36 months, which is unacceptable, of course, to the ECOWAS authority. And not only the ECOWAS authority, but also to uh, a large section of the political class and civil society in the country.
0: Thank you so much again, Ambassador Musa. It's so nice to talk with you.
1: Thank you very much, James. It's a
0: pleasure. Adele Fatahu Moussa is the new Commissioner for Political Affairs and Security of the Economic Community of West African States, ECOWAS. He was speaking with us from New York on the sidelines of the ongoing 77th UN General Assembly. A U.S. based human rights activist from Equatorial Guinea says the country's longtime president, Teodoro Obiang, the world's longest serving leader, has been able to rule the country for 40 years because of a patronage system, help from some Western countries, and a poor human rights record. This, after Obiang's ruling party announced last week that the 80 year old leader will be the candidate in the country's November elections because of his charismatic leadership and political experience. Tutu Alicant is the director of EG Justice, or Equatorial Guinea Justice, a Washington, D.C.-based human rights organization that focuses exclusively on the country. He spoke with me about the factors that have kept President Obiang in power but weakened the opposition. A
3: couple of things. One, it is a sign of how weak that government is. It is a sign of how autocratic that government is leaning. And it is a sign that Theodoro Bian, the president, the father, realizes what would happen should he step down. And by saying that, you know, this regime is weak, I mean, it's weak that there is no democratic institutions in the country. And the president realizes that. And uh, he knows exactly that the minute he steps down, there will be chaos. As it is right now, when you talk to citizens on the street, there is chaos because the economy is very very bad poverty inequality is growing in Equatorial guinea despite the fact that you know we're still producing oil but yet there's still enough in the country in terms of economic power to provide a better standard of living for most Equator Guineans. But that's not happening because of the level of corruption that we have in the country.
0: You say that he's afraid that when he steps down, there will be chaos. But yet, he has maintained himself in power 40 years now. Exactly. What is the state of political opposition in Equatorial Guinea?
3: Yes. So what 40 years of governing Equatorial Guinea has done for Mr. Obiang is ensuring that it's a political patronage system that he's set in place, right? So when you look at nepotism in Equatorial Guinea, you know, are perhaps exhibit number one in Africa, that patronage system has ensured that Obiang can is the only one really they can govern equatorial guinea as long as he's alive where is the political opposition in all these the real political opposition groups right there is no meaningful political opposition because the system is so based on political patronage that if you're not in you're completely out so as we're speaking my friend there are at least a dozen individuals in equatorial guinea they've been arrested in the last seven days all of the members of the opposition or civil society
0: President uh, Obiang's son, who is the vice president, said that the party nominated his father because of his uh, charisma and leadership mm-hmm. and political experience. What do you say to that?
3: I think we have to go beyond uh, those two sides. You and I know that people like Obiang, people like Kagame, people like Mugabe, back in his day, or Dos Santos, does not stay there because of charisma. What do they say, really? And in my mind, these people stay because there are many people that benefit from having someone like Obiang in power, right? And I'm talking about people not necessarily in Equatorial Union. You know, I'm talking about oil companies that are mostly from the West. You have a host of foreign nations that benefit from having autocrats in places like that.
0: Tutu, thank you so much. It's, it's a pleasure speaking with you.
3: Please, always a pleasure. Thank you.
0: Tutu Alicant is the director of EG Justice or Equatorial Gaining Justice in Washington, D.C.-based human rights organization. He was speaking with us from Washington, D.C. Congo-Brazzaville President Denis Sassou Nguesso over the weekend appointed members to his new cabinet. This comes after he renewed his confidence in Anatole Colone Makoso, who is again responsible for leading the destiny of the team, which is made up of 37 ministers, including 8 women and 29 men. Rosie Pio has this report from Brazzaville.
4: Among the new faces in the cabinet is Jean-Baptiste Ondaï, who takes over the ministry of economy and finance? He replaces Roger Rigobert Andeli, whose departure after completing negotiations with the IMF is widely commanded upon by the public. Clément Mirasa is a Congolese politician from the opposition. For him, the new team will do nothing to meeting demands by the public for change.
1: Comme le
4: he says that the new cabinet, like the old one, has an exercise number of members and is even more clannish with 12 from the Department of Kuvet in the central part of the country, while 18 others are part of the same ethnic group as the president. For Mirasa, the new government team was put in place following what he called fraudulent elections. It also follows various scandals such as money laundering by Nzubandama, former president of the Gabonese National Assembly. Trazon Zila is a member of Congolese civil society. For him, the failure to select a new team means there will be no improvement in living standards. He says that it's impossible to bring change with a team that has shown its incompetence and has not been able to respond to the concerns uh, of the Congolese. That includes access to drinking water and electricity, electricity, improving human rights, and the head to corruption and banditry, which are daily occurrences. John Dinga is a Congolese journalist. He believes that public doubts over the new team are due to the lack of communication from Congolese authorities. He says that there is a saying that you don't change a winning team, but the government will have to explain how this team has already won to deserve this new one. Otherwise, skepticism will set in among the population. Three new people have joined the new government team. The Prime Minister plans to address the press shortly to set out the priorities of his cabinet. For VOA News, I'm Josie Piot in Brazzaville.
0: You are listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm James in Washington. Today is Monday, September 26th. And still to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. Mozambique Prime Minister Adriano Afonso Maliani says his country has made progress in combating terrorism. The country's army, with the support of the Southern African Development Community, SADC, has been fighting against Islamic extremists in the country's resource-rich northern Cabo Delgado province. Speaking Saturday through an interpreter at the 77th U.N. General Assembly in New York, on behalf of President Felipe Nyusi, Prime Minister Afonso Malinane thanked SADC and the international community for their support. He also said Mozambique has made remarkable progress in the disarmament, demobilization, and reintegration of former RENAMO rebels.
5: To date, 4,002 former RENAMO guerrillas of a total of 5,221 have been covered by this process. We foresee by the end of this year the conclusion of the DDR process, which will be an important milestone in the implementation of the national peace and reconciliation agreement signed on August 6, 2019, between the government of Mozambique and RENAMO. With the completion of this stage, we will focus on long-term reintegration and more effective reconciliation which is crucial to ensure the sustainability of the peace process and the consolidation of national unity the remarkable progress we are making in the ddr is due to the valuable assistance and support of the united nations and the contact group to prevent terrorist actions in some states in the province of Cabo Delgado, the government has adopted a broad approach to reinforce the forces of defense to stabilize the situation and create a situation to provide for the socioeconomic development and reduce vulnerability factors of communities to terrorism. Thanks to the actions undertaken by Mozambique combined with the support and assistance of multilateral and bilateral cooperation partners, including SADC, the European Union and Rwanda, we have made progress in combating terrorism.
0: That was Mozambique's Prime Minister, Adriano Afonso Melinani, speaking Saturday at the 77th United Nations General Assembly in New York. With Ebola cases on the rise in Uganda, health workers are calling on their government to improve efforts in the fight against the deadly disease. Reporters Mugumi Davis Rakarinji has more from Kampala.
2: Uganda's Ministry of Health spokesperson, Emanuela Inebiona, says there has been a spike in Ebola cases in the country since the first ones were announced last week.
6: Uh, we have 34 cumulative cases, of which 16 are confirmed. 18 are still probable. We have registered uh, 21 cumulative deaths, of which four are confirmed. 17 are probable.
2: Anebiwana tells VOA that most of the cases are in the district of Mubende, in the central part of the country. The head of Uganda Medical Association, Dr. Dongo Emmanuel Eledu, says he worries the virus could be spread to many parts of the country. Speaking to journalists on Sunday, Eledu said the government to identify the fight. He said he's particularly concerned with the lives of doctors and health workers leading the fight against Ebola disease. You find that the doctors, health workers, who are triage, level one and level two, they don't have fully breasted up PPEs. And when I talk about fully breasted up, we are not talking about wearing gloves and a mask, no. We are talking, this is Ebola, this is not COVID-19, okay? It has a different uh, infection prevention and control measures set. And one of them is any patient, which is a probable case or which is a suspect case, must be seen by a health worker who is fully pressed up with PPEs. He says some health workers have presented signs of Ebola. He's advising health workers to avoid risking their lives unless provided with the necessary equipment. Dr. Eloni Nahabwe, who is in charge of warfare at Uganda Medical Association, agrees. If you don't have them, do not play a hero. There is no dead hero. Just to emphasize that our colleagues who died in COVID, none of them up to now has been compensated. All the doctors, all the nurses, all the health workers who died on COVID frontline, their families are still stranded. Minister of Health spokesperson Emmanuel Inebiona says the government is well aware of the medic's concerns. He says the ministry has come up with a response plan that includes many activities and interventions.
6: This is aimed to prevent and control this outbreak in the shortest time possible, given Uganda's track record in handling viral hemorrhagic fevers. Uh, surprise have already been prepositioned in Mubende and also all the high-risk districts to ensure that health workers are able to respond.
2: This is the ministry. Has pitched camp in Mubende, the epicenter of Ebola in Uganda. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Ruakarindin Kampala, Uganda.
0: A U.S.-based Somali political analyst says the latest attack by al-Shabaab is an attempt by the militant group to prove that it is still relevant. Reuters reported that at least 11 people were killed on Sunday at a Somali army training camp in Mogadishu. In his speech to the U.N. General Assembly last week, Somali President Hassan Sheikh Mohammed vowed that his government will eliminate terrorism. Somali political analyst Faisal abdi Roble tells me that while the verdict is still out, President Sheikh Mohammed's multi policy against al-Shabaab seems to be scoring points against the militant group, particularly in urban areas.
6: Well, al-Shabaab wants to send a message in the last few weeks it has been losing significant ground in middle Somalia as a result of self-organized clan militias that have been supported by the Somali government, Hassan Sheikh his new aggressive policies to really go to the heart of al centers and base. So this may be a way to refocus their terrorism from the area that they are losing into the urban population centers. So this is sending a message to let them know that they will disrupt life.
0: But this follows just last week's presentation at the UN's General Assembly meeting where the Somali president promised to get rid of Al-Shabaab. Is that possible?
6: The way Hassan Sheikh Mohammed is approaching in multi-layered kind of policy, attacking them in their ideology, attacking them in the rural areas where they are, he is probably being more aggressive and assertive than any other government we have seen since Somalia has been struggling with this uh, situation. Whether he will succeed or not, time will tell, but he seems to have been scoring uh, significant points against al Shabaab, particularly in the rural area, as I said. He has been really hitting them hard, where it hurts economically and militarily, both uh, from the financial point of view, as well as attacking them and defeating them for the first time. In the area that they have been occupying for almost 20 years, between Mogadishu and Beladweyn and Kelkaayo, which is the, the center, the belly of Somalia, has been gaining significant uh, victories in that area so far.
0: Mr. Robley, thank you so much uh, for your analysis. We do appreciate
6: it. Thank you, James.
0: Faisal Abdi Robley is a Somali political analyst. He was speaking with us from Los Angeles, California. It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria, a very good Monday morning to you, Something.
7: Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports in Germany where double Olympic champion Elite Kipchoge of Kenya broke his own men's marathon world record at Sunday's race in Berlin. The 37-year-old Kenyan crossed the line in a time of two hours, one minute and nine seconds to beat by 30 seconds his previous best set four years ago in the German capital city. He had previously taken one minute, 20 seconds off compatriots Dennis Kimeto's 2014 record of 2 hours, 2 minutes, 57 seconds in Berlin. Kipchoge had played down the chances of a world record in the build-up to the race. But he was excited after the race at his setting a new world record in an event that has brought him fame, success and wealth. Um, I feel good. I am happy to... I say three days ago that I want to run a course record. And if that course record can be translated to a world record, to also to pass an old basis, then I will appreciate. I'm appreciating today actually, uh, officially, about uh, about the world record, so I'm up for it. I always don't believe in limits. I don't know what the limits are. I always say no human is limited. Mm-hmm. That you see that uh, the last year was 59.50, which can tell the general public that uh, 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 good things are, are coming. In volleyball news, Kenya women national volleyball team, the Maika Strikers, remained winless at the ongoing International Volleyball Federation's Women's World Cup Volleyball Championship after falling in straight sets to Belgium on Sunday to register their second successive loss in Pool A at the Yellow Drum Arena in Arnhem, Netherlands. Belgium's Yellow Tigers romped to victory in straight sets of 25-15, 25-14 and 25-11 to delay the Maika Strikers dream for their second-ever win at the global stage. The nine-time African champions will be out to seek redemption against African rivals Cameroon on Tuesday with a win enough to propel the Kenyans to the elusive second round away from volleyball news uganda emerged as the overall champion at the 2022 federation of east africa secondary school sports association games in arusha city tanzania uganda topped the medal table with a total of 18 gold medals 10 silvers and 13 bronze medals kenya came second with five gold 12 silver and three bronze medals host tanzania had one silver and five bronze medals while Rwanda had two gold and silver apiece with four bronze, Burundi will host next year's games. In cricket news, Nigeria is set to host the ICC Under-19 Men's World Cup Africa Division Two qualifier in Abuja. The tournament, which is scheduled to take place at the Twin Cricket Oval of the MKO Abiola Stadium, Package B, Abuja, will feature eight countries, including the host nation, Nigeria. The qualifying matches will begin on Friday, September the 30th. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson. Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in
0: Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good Monday. And that's it for this Monday, September 26th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for beginning your week with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa team, I am James Barton in Washington, wishing